time for another episode of The Epic Narrative. Thanks for coming. Here's my dad, Bob Switzer. And thank you so much for that amazing intro. I tell you, I I love my daughter's voice. I do. She's an amazing singer. And just a drop-dead wonderful mom and and beautiful girl. I'm telling you, uh, uh, you know, she's also a great, a great wife. Oh my goodness. I can't go. I can't say enough wonderful things about that girl. She's amazing. And, uh, if you've never met her, I hope someday you get a chance because she is worth making an appointment just to hang out with. (laughs) She also, uh, she will tell you like it is. She is awesome. All right, on with the epic story. Listen, I know, I know these first few episodes are, we're really, we're really kind of introducing the characters, right? This is very similar to a movie in which you got so much going on later on that if, if, uh, if the director, if the writers don't introduce all these characters early, then you're kind of lost. Like, well, what's going on here? What, you know, who's this? Where did they come from? So we kind of get this. Uh, we're kind of getting all this stuff out of the way. I, I was telling uh, telling my wife the other day. I was like, you know, we're we're really just kind of starting into the story because we've already uh, we've covered four episodes and we really haven't haven't covered a story. We're covering the reason for the story. We're covering the author of the story. We're we're covering the identity of everybody else that's in the story, including you and I, and, and, and where we need to constantly go back to in order to make the, it'll give the story meaning. So all of it's important. I just, I just, I don't know. In, in, in my little storytelling heart, it's like, okay, chapter three, I think we finally get, you know, we're, we're finally entering. This is like the on ramp. And, uh, (laughs) we probably won't get much. We probably won't get what? I don't know if we'll get all the way through the ramp or not today. Here we go. So in in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Well, actually, let, let me let me do this. <laughs> we don't know how much time exists between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. Now, some of you are like, no, 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 Bob. We know how much. It's the next day. It's the next day. Well, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Now, I, I understand if you want the 24-hour days, that's fine. But what will happen is if you if you do this, this short earth, why do I keep saying short earth? It's been a week now. You're still saying it. If you're going with the young earth, young earth theory in the 24-hour days of creation and you believe that chapter 3 starts the next day after God rested, so this is now day 8, your your problem is going to show up later on because you need a lot of people on the earth come chapter 4 you need you need you need an earth with a lot of people and so i know those in the in the 24 hour day um, creation you know they kind of do genetic and mathematic gymnastics in order to make that happen which is fine i am please don't Please do not interpret anything I say about various theories as people who believe that are idiots. I don't believe that. People that believe that are usually, I mean, the people I've met anyways are highly intelligent. 
and many of them love the Lord. I, so I got, I got nothing against the theory. But we go back to what I said before. If what you believe can't handle some questions, then what you believe isn't worth believing. So just ask yourself, well, what if? What if we don't know how much time is between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3? What if it's a 1,000 years, which would not be hard? What if it's a 1,000 years? Where did we leave off on chapter 2? Chapter 2, we see that everything's functional, which means Adam and Eve are reproducing. They are multiplying, and they are filling the earth. Everything that they find in the in the garden, they are filling the earth. Now, if you don't, if well, not, we'll start with the positive. If you believe that Eden is a spiritual plane, and the Garden of Eden is in the east of that spiritual plane, and that's where Adam and Eve live, and they are reproducing there, and they are taking the seeds uh, and and beauty of the garden, and they are they are flourishing it on the earth. They are planting it. They are expanding the the atmosphere of heaven in a way that that represents, right? They are created in the image of God. So they represent God everywhere they are. They, they are a mirror image of their creator. And I don't know if I touched on this or not, but in, uh, in Genesis 1, so in that creation of man, it says he, he blessed them. And that word blessed means that he literally, it, it's the same word for worship. Like God so admired the beauty and the and the light and the love and the 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 power that was that was created within the image of man. Remember, we talked about quantum physics as well. All of creation, everything that came from the beginning was in the creation of man. And God was so admired it that he that that you could you could say he literally bowed before it, just in awe of what he had done. I would imagine that there's some artist that can reflect on that. That that if you create something that is so beautiful to you, I'm not saying it, you know that you were able to sell it for a million dollars, but but. Artists that were that are able to create that sit back and look at it and go, wow, I uh, like I can't I can't add another thing. Now most artists I know, that is not true with most of their stuff. Most of their stuff they hang on to because they think I'm gonna I need to I touch I mm, I might change that. Uh, and some artists you know go back and they literally paint the whole thing white again and start over. But God looked at his creation and was like, it says that he blessed it. He he knelt before it in awe. I, I know for some of you, that's like a brand new thought. And you're going to have to probably shut off the podcast and say, I got to look that up because that that that's freaking me out. And I understand it. Freak, it honestly, when I first heard it, I, that's exactly what I did. I was like, there, there is no way. But then it. It uh, turns out there was. So feel free. Please feel free. Check it out. So they are on, well, they could be on Earth as well. Sorry. They could be on another plane or they could be on Earth. And if you believe in evolution, then you have no problem with there being a thousand 
thousands of years, maybe even tens of millions of years between the end of Genesis 2 and the beginning of Genesis 3. You have no problem with that, so that's fine. If you're a short uh, short time, short, you said it again. If you're if you're a young earth person, you need you need to move things along so you've got something going on here. But again, it could be here on earth. They could literally be here on earth. And they could have it could be day number eight on the planet. It says, uh, now the serpent. Now, what do we need to know about the serpent? What we need to know about the serpent is, okay, well, actually, just, just, <laughs> is that he is, he is, where did he come from? That's what, I, that's the first question, right? Where'd the serpent come from? The first, first one, now the serpent, where, wait, what, why is he singled out? Why is the serpent singled out? Because I believe this is Lucifer. This is Satan. This is this is the bad guy. Now, whether whether you take on young earth evolution or spiritual planes, everybody agrees that somehow, somewhere along the line, Lucifer got cast down from heaven. And that comes from, uh, usually drawn from uh, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. And then some people believe at that point he was cast like literally down and out and into the, the depths of darkness. And he was, you know, forever uh, falling, um, had no idea what darkness was like. I mean, he was, you know, uh, just imagine that, right? You get literally thrown out of the, the source of light into darkness. You have, like the, the concept of it is, is mind-blowing on a spiritual level, let alone in your mind. But but here here he is cast out, and you believe he's cast into utter darkness and and becomes this mortal locked in eternal battle against God. Now it is awesomely described in Paradise Lost. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It, I'm oh what a great epic novel. Uh, poet poet poetic novel. It is I've read it multiple times. Amazing, amazing, amazing book. Uh, also, his his description of Adam and Eve, I think, really mirror what we talked about as well. The idea that they were they were beings of light, and as they walked through the garden, he I mean, I think it's three pages long, but basically he describes Adam and Eve walking through the garden. And just the way that all of creation would kind of bow to them, like the grasses and the and the trees. They they were so in awe when they saw this. Basically, they 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 would see their creator in Adam and Eve. They they saw who they were. They they connected to their identity, to what their purpose was. Every time they walked through, and they they would in essence bow before them. It was, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Okay, enough about that. So where, where'd this Lucifer, where'd the serpent come from? I believe uh, when Lucifer was cast down, he wasn't cast out of heaven. And that comes from the New Testament where it is described that he is always standing before the throne accusing the brethren. So I don't think he was cast out and uh, never to return I believe he was cast down from his position, which was literally the highest possible 
a spiritual creation outside of God. He was the most powerful angel, an archangel as, as they are often described. And in that creation, he would naturally have millions and millions of myriads of millions of, of, of servant angels to do his bidding. So when he lost his position, those angels came with him because they were under his power. They were under his rule. And I believe that he was given a position within the realms of, uh, uh, within the spiritual planes. It was a demotion. But God, listen, God's discipline is always about restoration. It is always about restoring people back to their true identity, restoring them back to their to their created position. If you believe that God's discipline of you is to somehow destroy you, that would be counterintuitive to the creator. And this goes to, to people who believe that, well, you know, God, God gave me cancer because it drew me closer to him. No, no. Why? Why? Why do you say no, Bob? I got cancer and I got closer to God. Okay, let's walk this through. Is there cancer in heaven? No, everybody knows that. Then how did God get a hold of cancer to give it to you? Well, well, he did, he, 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 yeah, exactly. Now you start getting a little goofy, right? And Satan becomes either this tool of God where he, you know, calls him in like some uh, mob boss and says, hey, I need you to do a thing. You want to go down there and do a thing for me? I need a thing done. You know, I can't do it myself because people are always watching me, you know. But you, you go down. You take care of that thing for me, okay? When you get back here, you know, I'll get you something real nice. That's that's how some people think God and Satan work, work out. And others are like, well, God was protecting me, and then he lifts his veil of protection so that the enemy can get me. Oh, yeah, that's a real loving God there. I mean, that's real. That's awesome. What a great picture. Beautiful. You really think that's what God is? Like he, he plays these uh, behavioral manipulation games. And I understand why a lot of people believe it, because a lot of parents tell people that's, you know, I'm, I'm just doing what God does. Like that's the way parents behave, and that's the way the kids understand God to be. Not, not, not even parents. Good grief. So many of the pastors I know work this way too. They get upset at someone in the congregation and they, they're like, uh, listen, uh, I, I, think, I think it'd be best for everybody if you stepped down from the elder board, if you stepped away from teaching right now. If you, you know, some of, some of your choices are calling into jeopardy our, our reputation. And uh, we, we just need to uh, ask you to step down, step out, you know, step away. I cannot imagine serving a God who describes himself as love and light, serving a God who literally in the last couple chapters has, has, has exposed himself as this amazing, beautiful uh, vibration throughout, throughout the universe, having like this backside that no one really knows about and, and comes out of nowhere with, ha ha, see what I can do?
I'll get you. Mess with me, I'll mess with you. Who you think you're dealing with here? I am the creator. Make me happy, I'll make you happy. Yeah, that is that is a horrible picture of God. And one of the main reasons why I go after these stories, because I think that so many things in these stories, whether it was last year's story of David or this year's story of Genesis, next year's story of Exodus, so many people look at these stories and use it and twist it to fit their picture of who God will be. And we just we just need to see God for who he is. And that means always going back to the beginning and always going back to Jesus and saying that's who God is. And if he looks like something else in these in these words that are written, then we need to reevaluate the words that are written. Not change the word of God, but evaluate the words that are written. Okay, Bob, enough preaching. Good grief. You're never going to get, you haven't even finished the verse. You got like through, yeah, three words. Hmm. So Lucifer, he is one of the most powerful angels ever created. He falls, I believe, in essence, demoted. What, what did he, what was his goal? Destroy what God has created. And I think he did. In chapter one, I think I think he destroyed it. And I think God recreated everything in chapter two. And there's Lucifer roaming around in this place called Eden as some sort of chief of the animals. Just walking, talking, communicating with both man and animals. And what I see in, in my in that view, and it's not just mine, but it's one that I like, is that is that we see God's grace in discipline. We see that God was not willing to just throw his amazing creation into eternal annihilation and torture. He put his most amazing creation into a realm that he said, you know what? I'm going to, I really believe this. I know, I know, I know I'll probably lose some listeners here. I believe God wants, wanted and wants to restore Lucifer. I, because I believe that's the heart of God for everyone. And I think it's one of the reasons why that, you know, that I'm not saying I agree with all the theology of the hymn, Amazing Grace. I haven't really thought about it for a while, so. But there's, everybody loves that, that, beautiful theme of God that he restores no matter how wretched you might be he restores it's amazing God's grace and you don't have to agree with me sweet Lord no please please don't freak out just you can you can just say well you know Bob has some really good points and then he has these others that are just ridiculous and I I don't agree with and I'd say that's fine with me I am not looking to create a bunch of of <laughs> Of uh, I don't want to say minions. What do I want to say? Mimics. Just people who who agree with you know. I agree with Bob. What Bob says is true. No 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 no. Wrestle with this stuff. Enjoy the story. But it says ha. Next phrase. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He okay. Wait. Let's just stop there. That word crafty means subtle, prudent. 
This is what I found fascinating. It's the same word used in Proverbs to describe the opposite of a fool. So this this serpent, this serpent is somebody who knew how to bide his time. He's not irrational. He doesn't just freak out and start, you know, hurling fiery darts at everything. He's he's you know he, he's consistent in his deception. He's persistent in his pursuit. He doesn't back down. He's subtle in his arrival. He doesn't show up in a ball of flame or a black cloud and thunder and just say, Obey me, a lord of the darkness, or you will die. No, 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 no. He is good. <laughs> Whoops. Sorry, I just banged the, banged the microphone. No, he's good. He's really good. Uh, uh, what was that? Old movie is called The Advocate, where uh, Al Pacino plays a lawyer and Keno, Re- Cannot, Keno Reeves plays the young lawyer. And I believe the old lawyer is the devil, but he's so subtle. It's been a while since I've seen that. But it was, it was, yeah, it's subtle. He is crafty. He is wise. And I believe that. Because he wasn't cast out into eternal darkness, I think he he viewed God's discipline, uh, or should we say like God's act of mercy, as offensive. And he thought, this is ridiculous. You know, this is weakness. I can go after this guy. And he waited, in essence, uh, you know, if there's a thousand years between the end of two and the beginning of, of chapter three, he he just bided his time. He was waiting, waiting, talking with Adam and Eve, talking with the animals, running the, you know, running what he was supposed to run. Just, you know, it was like being in prison, but on good behavior. And it was, you know, obviously a gorgeous prison, whether it was whether you think it was on a spiritual plane or on earth. So. God's wrath is always love. It's always light. And what does that do? It removes darkness. It removes what isn't love. And when when darkness finds light, it finds light violent and offensive. But that's not the goal of light. The goal of light is to reveal mystery, to record activity, and to show us things that need to be replaced with truth. So Lucifer waited. He waited and he waited to take advantage of a very casual conversation. And I believe Eve, the woman, just happened to be convenient. She was by the two trees, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life, just just walking around, doing what she does, doing what she's supposed to do, behaving as she was designed, within the identity of who she is. So I think he was just convenient. And when the time arrived, he asked her a very fair question. Hey, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? 
Wait. What? Where'd that come from? Hmm. Did God say, I mean, he, he did God say, is another way of saying, he, he looked at her, like probably, I, I think he was just walking next to her. They're walking by the trees. And very subtly, he's like, you know, is it possible that God told you you can't enjoy something? Is it, is, I mean, is that possible? Well, remember, all they've ever known is goodness. They had, <laughs> you'd say, well, you would think she would have suspected something. No, you can't suspect something if everything around you is good. You can't suspect something if everyone around you has always spoken the truth. You can't suspect something if everything you've experienced is filled with beauty and love and goodness. So there wasn't any suspicion there when he asked the question. She just easily answered. It seemed pretty easy. She was like, uh, is it possible that God told you you can't enjoy something? And the woman said, well, we can eat from, uh, from any of the tree. We can eat everything. Oh. Because you see, he exaggerated the question. Is it possible you can't eat from anywhere that you can't enjoy anything in the garden? No, no, I can eat anything from the garden. You know, like basically, you know that. The answer is, is easy. We can enjoy everything. But the serpent knew he was cunning. He was wise. He was subtle. He, he asked a ridiculous question. He might, I think he even laughed when he said it. I have... <laughs> I have a, a form of humor, right? I, I'm sure a lot of people do, where you overstate something that is obviously untrue. So when I see this exaggeration, I picture it almost uh, spoken as a joke with laughter. <laughs> Could you imagine? Just think, did God, did God ever say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? That you can't enjoy everything? She's like, no! <laughs> we can eat from the, all the trees in the garden. Oh, man. But he actually, you know what? Now that you mention it, now that you mention it, and I could see the serpent looking at her and, and smiling a little bit because he knew he had her. He had bided his time as he should. He had per picked the perfect environment. He had delivered the words with, with such smoothness and seeming in innocence that she actually says, actually, you know, she clarifies some things, right? Then she adds a little bit. She goes, well, he, he actually did say, we can't eat fruit from the one tree that's in the middle of the garden. And, you know, and we shouldn't touch it or we'll die. Now, I don't know who told her she shouldn't touch it. See, that to me sounds like, sounds like a rule somebody else made because I don't see that recorded anywhere. God said, don't, you know, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I know that there are, I know, I know that there are literally entire books written about the fact that God put tree, two trees in the garden. 
And one is all about, you know, entering into, you know, your mind, entering into, um, you know, uh, selfishness, taking intellect over the spirit, taking knowledge, being right over, you know, choosing that over something that brings life because if one tree is a, is a tree of life, the other tree was going to bring death. And that's what Jesus, God, told them. If you eat of this, you're going to die. This is life. This is death. And I'm not saying that knowledge is bad or that academics are bad or that, or that your mind is bad. It's just if, if it's not under the rule of life, if it's not in submission to what would be the tree of life, then then you're going to die. Your mind does not lead you to life. It'll lead you all kinds of places, and not all, you know, it's it's it'll it'll lead you into quite a life, but in the end, you're you're not alive at all. You may be right, but you're not alive. Now, I got to preaching. Find your notes. There you go. So this serpent agrees with God, uh, agrees with Eve, right? And then adds a little bit more. Oh, you, you're not surely going to die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Hmm. Now the serpent adds some information. He adds some stuff that is going to make Eve start to question. And I don't think, again, I, I, a lot of times, you know, we get to going in the story and it's, we come at it from this position that we know what evil is. We know what badness is. We know, we know what, what, uh, you know, darkness is in the in the bad sense, not just mystery, but but evil. And we see this and we think, oh, how did she not know? Listen, how could she how could she have known? She had never had a conversation where somebody didn't tell the truth. We literally can't have we, we cannot live on this planet and know what that's like. We have no idea. So when he says, you will not surely die, she's thinking, oh, well, that's probably one of the first times she heard something that was in counter, 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 that was the opposite of what God said. Contradict, contradiction. Why did I say counter, counterdiction? <laughs> yeah, because you put that on the counter, the counterdiction. That's terrible. I literally couldn't spell either one, but anyways, and uh, the contradiction. This is their first time running into a contradiction with what God had to say. Imagine that. She has no concept, that, no suspicion that what he's saying isn't true because everything she's ever known is truth and light. And the, and the, and the serpent knows by saying these words, you will not surely die. 
he's taking a huge risk because that's his exposure right there. That that phrase would would expose him as a liar, as somebody who doesn't agree with God. And it was going to be, is Eve going to fall for this or not? So what does he do? He just continues the lie. He continues the lie. He's like, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. Well, listen, they love God. They spend... They spend time with God on a regular basis. This is someone, this is someone they are loved by. This is this is the being of light that created them. The frequency of light that Adam and Eve glow, you know, uh, illumined with glowed. Is that I don't know if glow is the right word. But that, that frequency is the same frequency of the beginning. It's the same frequency of heaven. It's the frequency of God. Like they literally were in concert with God all the time. They were singing, in essence. Their being, everything within them was singing and connected to the orchestra, the orchestrator, the creator. So the idea of not being like God would have been really odd because everything within them says, yeah, we're in concert with God all the time. So this invitation to be like God was not like, it wasn't like a competition. It was a natural step. And this chief of of animals, this this being that clearly was the the wisest of all animals, right? We've already determined that he was the, the subtlest, the craftiest, the prudent, He was the wisest of all animals. He speaks wisdom all the time. He speaks truth all the time. So however long that Lucifer waited, however long that the serpent waited, he waited until he could deliver this information in such a way that he would not be suspect. That's incredible. And, and she didn't suspect it at all. And, and between you and me, don't kid yourself. You would not have suspected it either. And so many of us still fall into it, right? Because why? Because Satan is, he is a patient, patient foe. <laughs> foe is such an old word in it, enemy. <laughs> So, yeah, he he says, you will know, you'll be like God. Again, nothing bad about that in her mind. Knowing good and evil. Now, that is something, again, what in the world is that? What is evil? What is good? Listen, she has never had to divide good and evil because she has never known evil. It makes sense that they would want to be like God. It makes sense that knowing a new mystery would continue the process of being like the one who they were already like. 
Everything about them was being like God. Everything about them reflected God. Everything about their behavior was about God. Their, even their, you know, the multiplication, the, 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 who knows, the thousands of children that they had had, of beings that they created, that was basically effortless and enjoyable. Everything they did was just like God. They created and reproduced in, in beautiful replicating fashion all the time. And they'd been doing it, in my opinion, for a thousand years. So the idea that they could be even more like God was not weird. It was, it was you know, the invitation to even, even though they didn't know it was possible, this being, this wise, amazing being was giving her an invitation to be like God, to know good and evil. And that was a mystery that they had never explored before. And they started to, I think, process. Was God keeping a pleasure from them? Was he keeping a mystery from them? Was he keeping power to himself? And the answer to all of those would be, no, no, he never does that. He never keeps pleasure from us. He never keeps mystery from us. He never keeps power to himself. He shares it all. We have it all. We literally have all authority here. So all those questions would have been, no. So it would be natural to believe that was that what was available to them was right in front of them and that what was what she was about to do couldn't be bad i know i've emphasized that enough have i it couldn't be bad she didn't have a concept of bad she didn't have a concept of evil she didn't have a concept of lying she had no suspicion within her because she had never experienced something in which to be suspicious of so an invitation from a being of wisdom that says, if you eat it, you become even more like God, knowing a mystery called evil. Something that God knows all about, but you don't. But you're so much like him, what would keep you from being even more like him? Now this is what we don't know. We don't know how long she debated in her mind. Did she go home that home, whatever that is, did she float over and, and interact with Adam over this? She just, you know, I was talking to the serpent today. Really? Oh, man, that guy is just so full of wisdom. I, I love hanging out with him. Yeah, and he's beautiful. He's a beautiful being. I Yeah, me too. I, I agree with you. Yeah, well, what did he say? Well, he said that that, uh, you know, there's stuff that uh, we could even do, that we could do to become even more like God. Well, that's like, that's like the desire of their, of their identity. Like that's the, oh my gosh, like the, the purpose of their lives is to be like God. This is, not, this is like, oh my, like the, the internal desire to reflect and be like their creator. Has, it, 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 like it, 
the lie that the serpent spoke, like literally went to their greatest desire and gave them an invitation to be, you know, to enter into even deeper forms of their greatest desire. You want to be like God? Look at, look at that. I wonder, you know, did, did God say, you, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. As a matter of fact, you're going to be more like the one who created you. Wow. The serpent wouldn't lie to me. No, I don't, I don't even know what a lie is. What do you mean wouldn't lie to you? Lie, what is a lie? Lie? What's lying? Yeah. That's the position Eve was in. And that's the position we're going to leave her in until next week on the Epic Narrative. Have yourself a great day, everybody. Don't leave just yet. We've got Bob Thoughts. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Those of you that are seeing this on Facebook, you can see that I'm in a different place than I was last week. Because last week, I was at um, another gracious person's house. This week's, I'm actually staying at a friend of a friend's. Like, we we literally have never met this person. Uh, they made themselves available to us for um, to come use their guest room and to spend the, as long as we needed. And we did. And we've been here for almost a week now. Uh, we're going to hit the road tomorrow. And if you want more on that, you'll have to follow me all over the place. But it's pretty fun. We're in another... Uh, this is a double wide, I think, that's uh, parked on a, a mini horse farm. There's 23 mini horses all over the place. They're so cute. Anyways, on with some thoughts regarding episode uh, five. I think, uh, I know I emphasized it during the um, the episode, but the idea of the perfect environment for the enemy to lie I mean, it literally is, if you ever needed a perfect environment to lie, the garden was that perfect environment because there was no such thing as lying up until that point. There was no such deception. There was no no con game. There was never uh, an exaggeration even for anybody to have within their, their framework of reference to be like, wow, that sounds too good to be true. Literally in the garden, everything was, as we would call it, too good to be true. And that's one of the ways that we connect with God even now in this time is if we're doing something and we think to ourselves, man, that's that's too good to be true. It actually is a good indicator that that is a God thing. That's something that God is making available to you. It's uh, it's a fascinating way when you uh, when you learn to filter what the voice of God sounds like that's one of the phrases that people will use. Does it sound too good to be true? Is it a God thought? Is it something that's so beyond what you would normally come up with that really God's the only one that can get credit for for, for giving you that idea? Uh, it's It doesn't... <laughs> I, I laugh because then there's all these people who often uh, uh, overdo that, right? Where... They literally go from one crazy idea to another in the name of God. And there's a there's probably some maturing <laughs> that has to take place when you're learning to hear from God and you and you learn to hear his voice like that. 
there's because I'm guessing all of us have heard you know crazy stories. People that have packed up and left. You know, people that have given away all their money. People that that have uh, gotten married and been like, well, it was the voice of God. It was the voice of God. Like, how could it be wrong? How could it be wrong? And then sometimes it's like six days later. They're like, well, the voice of God told me to change. We're changing now. You know, I'm gonna. I'm gonna leave everything and go. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy it all back. I'm gonna divorce this person because well now God's changed his mind. And and that's another thing about hearing the voice of God is is there's a consistency to it in that it it always connects with things within the culture of heaven. And one of the things in the culture of heaven that it connects to is that of honor and that of love and that of loyalty and uh, gentleness and meekness. And sometimes when you hear, you know, from God and you get all excited about leaving or doing something, you have to you have to filter it through the the characteristics of heaven. You have to filter it through the characteristics of of the kingdom and say, "Okay, fine. If that is the voice of God, then it's then it's okay to give a two-week notice because that's that honors my commitment to this, you know, to the employer." Um if if this is the voice of God, he's not going to tell me uh, flippantly, just to walk away from this relationship. Now, I do. When it comes to divorce, uh, I guess not. I guess I. I do. I do believe you can be divorced and still love Jesus and still go to church and and uh, there's there's that's that's okay. Um, now, how how you enter into it and why you're entering into it, I think those are things that you have to filter through the kingdom of God, for sure. For sure, and one of the things that God doesn't want you to do is sit in a in an environment in which you're constantly being abused. Absolutely not. Uh, so that's uh, I, I'm not I'm not going to run down that road. I'm not. Just know that I do believe that there are uh, avenues through which divorce can take place, and uh, I know many wonderful, amazing people who love Jesus and serve Him faithfully who have been through divorce. And if you're in an environment where where you you really believe you have grounds for divorce, but you're also in a, a religious environment that says if you do, you're not going to go to heaven, or God's going to be disappointed in you, or you can't ever connect with God again, or you know you just need to learn to serve and submit and be, in essence, abused for the rest of your life. But that's okay because God will take care of you when you get to heaven. Like anything along that line, I'm going to just tell you just just get out. Just get out. Give me a call. <laughs> I can walk you through some stuff. Um, reach out to me. Uh, and if you've already been through something like that and you got divorced, quote, anyway, and now you feel completely separated from, from God because of it, I want you to know that, that that is not God's heart towards you. He's not upset with you. He's not disappointed in you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. And... Um, you can hear his voice, and he is speaking to you. And uh, yeah, he loves you very much. You are not in any way uh, beyond redeemable when it comes to <laughs> because I, I say that because I came from such a, a strict religious world in my history that divorce was, you know, was definitely, you never did it, never. Uh, you died first. And that was literally what I think throughout throughout history, what a lot of, women did was they literally would die in these abusive relationships in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, because their religious leaders were telling them, you got to stay, you got to stay. 
And I just want you to know that is not the heart of God. It is the heart of religion. Religion wants you to, to suffer, but God God has a completely different plan uh, when it comes to that sort of thing. So anyways, those are thoughts. I had no idea what we were going to cover in today's uh, little episode here, but I'm glad we did, and I hope you enjoy your day. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out and have yourself, uh, have yourself a little opportunity to debate that in your own mind. And uh, I hope the episode brought up a lot of opportunities for you to be like, wait a minute, because we did cover some pretty crazy, not crazy theories, but really intense theories about this, the you know passages that people feel very passionate about. So I hope that uh, I hope you did some of your, of your own research, and even if you don't agree with everything in a particular theory, at least give room for people to believe it and still love Jesus. All right, have yourself a great day, everyone. I'll talk to you again next week. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.